This is your reminder, Black Lives Matter. This is Soccer Better, sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Between the two of us, we have way too many years of graduate education to be helpful. We decided to journey into the world of critical thinking and the analytical side of all things soccer. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Liz, we are back for Soccer Better. Are you ready? And this article is incredible for Soccer Better. It is like everything I need to enact something in my life. Did you pick this article? No, you did. Oh, good job me then, I guess. Good job you. (laughs) I, you know, it's been one of those weeks. I think perhaps you've also had a week, but, you know, I just... Anyway, it's okay. Let's talk about the article. Okay. okay. I th- That sounds like the right thing to do right now. Yes. I don't think anyone wants to hear about our lives. Probably uh, not. Ask probably. us on Twitter if you want to know about our lives. We'll tell you there. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. So this uh, article is entitled Creating Social Capital on Soccer Fields, Immigrants, Opportunities, and Gendered Barriers in Adult Soccer Leagues. Uh, this uh, paper was or is by Edward Painter and Marie Price. It came out in 2019. So this is a very recent one. I believe this is one of the most recent ones we've done. Agreed. And it, ca- it was published in the Journal of Ethic, or I'm sorry, Ethnic and Migration Studies. There's an N in there uh, and an H. Uh, and yes, so this paper um, is about adult soccer leagues in Washington, D.C. And so what they did was they conducted a survey of two different adult leagues. And one uh, league is a more structured league. So you pay registration fees and you have a set team. And another league um, is just like pickup soccer. And so what they did was they looked at the social capital between these two leagues and compared them and then they looked at differences of um, immigrants uh, the opportunities that they had and they also looked at gender so i found this article to be incredibly interesting uh liz just kind of overall what were some of your key takeaways um i i really liked the kind of so like it's a it's a narrow study But within that narrow study, there were two people who participated in soccer in very different um, spheres. There were two very different groups. So that you really got to see the compare and contrast, which for me really makes a lot of points hit home. So the whole article, I was very impressed with the compare and contrast and the way that they made that work and the way that they presented it so efficiently. Yeah, and I think... One of the things that I thought about, especially reading the introduction of this paper, which typically in, you know, academic journal articles, um, the introduction is where they talk about previous work that has been done that this research is building upon and kind of how this research fits into the larger kind of world. And so they were talking about um, immigrants uh, in cities and kind of how they integrate and build social capital, which was the main point of this paper. But one of the things I thought about was you hear often about these like happiness indexes and a lot of the Scandinavian countries have like shockingly high, like they're so happy there and it makes zero sense. But one of the things that some researchers that I heard 
uh, were talking about was the lack of diversity in those countries and that most people in those countries are white. And as immigrant populations have increased, there's like been this increased tension. So that was actually uh, this not really related to this article in particular, but that was something I thought about. Um, and really what they're trying to understand is how to develop trust and um, gain insights among diverse groups. And, you know, are people who are historically disadvantaged, so immigrants in this case, do they gain the same opportunities that others may gain by participating in these groups? Um, so anyway, I found it so fascinating. Yeah, and I think that these these two groups are very different in how they affect the, uh, the social and um, economic opportunities of the participants. And if you would have read them each in a silo, you would have said like, oh, that's not great to, so, to certain parts. So some things they did well and some things they did, you're like, oh, that's really kind of awful. But when you read them together, I think what it says to me is that you really have to have more options. So for example, the less structured group had far more immigrant um, of the immigrant population participating. And, but they also had a huge problem with females not feeling comfortable participating. And I was like, oh, like that's awful. But I mean, is it like, is it that bad when there was an option for um, females to participate? And maybe there could have been another less structured um, option for, for females, but maybe it needed to be built out and maybe it needed to be a little bit separate. Like you always want to see equality and integration and everybody getting along, but sometimes you need different kinds of safe spaces. So I love that the way they presented this wasn't that either one of them failed by any measure. It's just that the measures were different. Yeah, absolutely. And I 100% agree. And I think as, as I read some of the findings as it related to immigrants versus, not versus, but then also as it related to um, women participating, it, it was such a clear inter- um, illustration of how intersectionality is so important when we think about, um, you know, different types of identity and like the categorizations that we have of people, right? So like some interventions will work really well for women in particular, and some interventions will work really well for immigrants, but those interventions may not work for female immigrants, which they talked about in the paper. Um, and so really the, the purpose of this paper and kind of the underlying question was, can soccer be a mechanism to increase social capital? And I thought that was like such a powerful thing. And what you said at the beginning of our episode, Liz, is 100% right. This is like exactly what we're looking for. This is exactly what we want to talk about when it comes to soccer better. We want to find ways that we can use and leverage soccer and all the amazing things about soccer to um, make the world a better place and to make soccer a better place. So I just love this. And I think a lot of these lessons can translate into uh, supporters groups. So like not all of us want to play soccer, but the kind of social capital that, that was gained based on these, um, I don't know, intramural or whatever, these, these soccer groups, that kind of capital is something that I would love to help people build. And you have to realize like some of your supporters are going to be very young. Some of your supporters are going to be female. Some of them are going to be in the professional world. Some of them are going to be trying to get into the professional world. And having a diverse 
not only like a single diverse supporters group, but having multiple supporters groups that can meet people to give them the most possible social capital is a great idea and it should be encouraged. So you're not competing for, I mean, I guess you could be competing for the same membership, but in the end, what you're really competing to do is to provide the best opportunities for everyone who likes to support the same team. And I think that putting that together um, brought me more into it because I'm probably never going to join any kind of soccer club because the idea of running horrifies me. (laughs) Yeah, no. And, and actually, you know, I was thinking about, so in undergrad, I participated in a more structured um, indoor league actually. And we, it was fascinating because it was a co-ed league and there were rules about how many women you had to have on the field. And so, right. It was like a great place for me to participate and to engage with, you know, the sport that I grew up playing and really enjoyed, um, while also, you know, being able to like be competitive and not be, you know, not playing against like an all like, 25 year old men's team right um and i think a lot of uh, professions do that so the aba does it the american bar association or the allegheny county bar association which is the county i live in in pennsylvania they have intramural leagues and like you compete against and there are rules about how many females need to be on the team and it is very much structured like the structure of um that was described in this article and i think that it does make a lot of sense that you know, some people who go for those structured kind of systems use it as a way to escape work. So everyone who's doing it for the bar association, like we're all attorneys, so we don't want to go and talk about what kind of attorney you are. But if someone came up and said, hey, my nephew's in trouble with X, Y, and Z, you just by having the conversation, you may find someone who practices that type of law and, you know, build a deeper relationship, which I think gets into more of what the um, article found. Yeah. And so what these researchers did was they uh, identified two of the larger leagues um, that soccer leagues that exist in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And so one of them is called District Soccer, I believe. um, And that is a more structured um, league. And so you pay a registration fee, you have a roster, um, and that is a co-ed league where a certain number of Uh, women need to be on the field playing on the field at the same time the other league um, that they looked at and Liz I am blanking oh DC meetup soccer um, is a message board uh, where people can just uh, say where they're playing pick up and then you know it's very informal there's no refs you just kind of like go and play pick up soccer And so what the researchers did is they sent out electronic surveys to both of these groups, and they also conducted focus groups to learn about social capital, um, specifically looking at the immigrant population of, you know, among the two groups, as well as women. Um, And so they pulled out three questions from their survey that they used to understand social capital and Those three questions looked at, has soccer helped you to make any social connections that you wouldn't have made otherwise? Um, Do you socialize with the players other than at the games? And have any of these connections related to soccer led to a job interview or a job? And I really thought that part was interesting, like the economic component, um, because that is just, I, I don't know, like that just struck me as like, I'm really glad that they included that. And it wasn't just kind of a socialization component. It was also 
like in your life outside of soccer has this league helped you yeah and i think it's interesting that they cited a number of studies that found differing differing uh results on whether or not diversity led to social engagement and social capital which is the two things they're trying to examine with these questions but regardless of you know whether it's a homogenous group or a diverse group everyone can agree in this study here shows that soccer was able to bridge that gap and foster both of these things but to very differing extents which kind of surprised me that so the more organized group was more focused they found more social engagement um kind of to like a really extreme degree that i didn't understand where these certain people spent four nights a week together and they did trivia nights they started moving next to each other and built like these really strong social bonds and the less formal group that had uh, more of an immigrant population they actually had a much better rate of leading to jobs and interviews Um, and it was just very interesting to see how different that that was for both groups yeah and it definitely reminded me so in undergrad i um was part of a swing dancing association and i I know this sounds like very off, but there was a point that was probably like a six month period that I was swing dancing, like probably like five nights a week, like four to five nights a week, depending. And I was in school full time. It was a little insane. I didn't really sleep that much, which I could definitely not do now, like, you know, 10, 10 years later. But um, yeah, so I mean, I think it was like, you know, when I read that, I was like, oh, yes, the energy of youth. You know, like I can understand, right? Like if you're single or if you and your partner are both like super into soccer and like this is the thing that you do, um, I can totally understand how someone would, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I was that person at one time. And now I'm like, oh, God, that sounds exhausting. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah. And and I, I, I found it so interesting. So there's this idea, there are these concepts within kind of social capital theory that are this idea of bonded groups, which are super tight knit are pretty like closed off to external folks. And then there are bridging groups, which are looser and more welcoming to um, external people. And so they compared the district soccer, which was the, the more structured league as being more of a bonded example of bonded social capital and the DC meetup soccer to um, the more bridging type of social capital, which I thought that was really interesting. You know, it would be interesting to know if they like had that comparison before they did the study or if they did that after they found, uh, once they like got the results. My guess is they probably figured that out after they got the results, but that's okay too. Yeah, I think a lot of things that they may have known before were probably just very high level from looking at uh, the fact that for the Metropolitan Washington, you had to pay to be there, um, that uh, it was, uh, you know, a little bit more of a higher socioeconomic class, whereas the meetup group was obviously more diverse, um, you know, over 50% of their participants identified as an immigrant. Um, 
And you would have obviously seen fewer females, and especially in the meetup group, even females who participated, they said they participated maybe once a month, just because if they couldn't get a group that they were already comfortable with, they felt very uncomfortable joining a new group of people and establishing themselves again. And without any refs to kind of make the rules very consistent, it was hard for them to join in on that uh, that field. Yeah, and I, I mean, as someone, as like a female soccer player, I 100% like can relate to that. I, um, you know, have traveled internationally, you know, and people I feel like love soccer way more in other countries than they do here but you know we would like go and play pickup soccer places and because there were a bunch of people that I knew especially a bunch of men that I knew that were also playing I felt way more comfortable playing than if I were to just like go to some random field and want to play pickup with um you know people I didn't know one thing that I found that was super interesting was that the immigrants who participated in the more structured league received unequal benefits to those, to like their white colleagues. Like they had less, um, they reported less like social capital. Um, And I found that to be like super interesting. And I think, you know, we highlighted, you know, we touched on this earlier that, you know, just because something works for one group of people doesn't mean it works you know, it works in the same way for all groups of people. And I think that's just something to be really mindful of. Yeah, I think that based on how much they were able to glean about these people being in the same neighborhoods, um, the the pay scale that they were in, you know, whether they were white or they were an immigrant, which was really kind of the, the breakdown. Um, some of them even got married to each other. Like, just based on how insular it became, and there was a big enough gap in pay that I'm not really surprised that there was an uneven uh, benefit to the the immigrant population in the paid and more structured group. Like, I just don't know that they could keep up with some of the, the five nights a week of, like, trivia, and it was, all, it was all events, do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, we get together at someone's house and we started having dinners together or we played more soccer together. It was like all of these extra events. So on that end, it didn't really surprise me that there was a bit of unevenness. And I guess like the one example from the structured group where they talked about um, how they supported one of the players and like they benefited because they happened to, to get into some legal trouble and there was an attorney on their team and they were able to get that support. Like it was someone that, the way that they talked to him, they called him the kid. And it's probably not, it may not have been just because he was young, but they saw him as less sophisticated. So like that example really, it showed me how this could go down a bad path and like things that I would want to keep an eye out for if I was to start something or if I was to try and expand what our supporters group does, that you don't want to embellish on that dis- inequality, that you want to meet everyone where they are and try to make it everyone feel like they can participate to the degree that they want to and not make it like, well, all of us are spending, you know, $800 a week to go out to the bar. Sorry, you can't keep up. You're barely in our group. Like, that's not cool. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think that the example that they give, I think was really, um, it really 
demonstrated to me just on so many different levels, right? Like it was like, yeah, that's great that they were able to help with legal trouble. But just I, I agree, like when they were like, and they called them the kid. And I was like, uh, that's so pejorative, you know, and like, that's not I, I don't know, right? Like, I mean, no, I, I do know, right? Like, that's an example, right? That's like coded language, right? Like, th- those are like the terms that we, you know, I feel like it's like the South. I don't, what it reminded me of was like someone, call, like a white person calling a, a black man boy, right? Like, that's yeah. just, I, I don't know. I was just like, oh, that's so wrong. It just like rubbed me in like such a way. Right. And it doesn't like the term could have been endearing and fine on the day to day. And at every pickup game that they had, it could have been fine. But when they were telling the story and the way in which they're like, oh, well, we don't like to do this thing, but they're lucky they knew us. And so we helped the kid out. I was like, I don't like this story. Like, I'm glad that you helped him. But I don't like the place that it it made this hierarchy of of status. And I was like, ow, dislike. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, one of the other things that I disliked, I think, <laughs> talking about things that I dislike, um, and, it, and it wasn't, um, I should say it wasn't something that the authors did, but it was like an example of the... Um, access to fields and the quality oh, of the yeah. fields. Um, so I believe it was in the discussion section, the authors talk about how the intersect, like the interactions between these two leagues, like continues to play out um, in access to fields. And so they give the example of, I guess it was like a schoolyard soccer field was in really terrible condition. And so um, the, the less structured group, uh, the meetup group, would have constant access to it because, you know, the league didn't want to, you know, the structured league didn't want to play there. But then there was a big reinvestment in the field and it became a lot nicer. And there was um, policy intervention, which I'm super interested in policy. So I was like, ah, that there was this policy that people like could only play on it if they like made a reservation. And so um, there were numerous occasions where the pickup league would be playing there. And then the structured league would be like, well, we have this field reserved and like technically, right. Like the structured league has access and should be the ones allowed on that um, field. But right. It like created this additional like, Uh, tension between the two groups so the structured league had access to twice as many fields because there are certain fields in the dc area that require you to have insurance in order to carry insurance for your group you not only have to have the money for it but you have to know exactly who is playing on your field each and every game which for the meetup group was not going to happen to any extent like to get a policy for them would have been prohibitively expensive and then they've got to charge fees and it becomes this whole hubbub but so the structured group had access to fields that required insurance. But then there's a whole other set of fields that didn't generally required insur- require insurance if you just showed up and played. And, like, they didn't kick you off, so they let you play. But if you were someone who could pay for insurance, they would let you schedule time and kick off anybody who was already on the field. There has got to be a better way to handle that. And the fact that the structured group has access to twice as many fields. Like, if you want to be a field that you can only play on if you have insurance, there are ways to make sure that that happens. You can, you know, put a gate around it or have security guards or, you know, 
I'll stand there and yell at people. I don't know, however you want to do it. Like there are ways to make it happen. But if you're a place that set show, just shows preference to people with insurance, but in general, you seem to let anyone play on your field, then get out of town. You've got to have a better system for scheduling that field, whether or not you have insurance, because you're taking away from your community, especially the one that was on a school grounds. If you are going to let, because they would kick off students. It wasn't just that they would kick off the meetup group, but they would kick off the high school or middle school students. They'd be like, well, we scheduled this field. You've got to make a determination. Like if, if you are able to charge and you want to get scheduled times, that's fine. But you have to make the schedule open to other individuals because even if it's just a meetup group, you can get a rough estimate of time and say, hey, we only have it for these two hours. You put it out to the meetup group, which is huge. There's thousands of people on it. You can probably get even a 5v5. You can get 10 people to play. So like they only gave the schedule to people who could pay for insurance which meant that if you couldn't pay for insurance, you were kind of at the mercy of everybody else. And that is extremely unfair if the field didn't generally require insurance. It's just such a horrible double standard. It did, it, that made me angry as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, for me, you know, transitioning to kind of like what are our key takeaways and what are our next steps, right, based off of this article, I think... For me, right, it's like these types of policies that make it so difficult for, um, yeah, for just kind of like the general public to participate. And I, I, what is, you know, and, and you're a lawyer, right? And so like you understand kind of like more, you have a better understanding of the legal side of this. But I, I think it's just so frustrating when we let you know, these kinds of things be barriers and we don't think of like creative solutions that can, that can create more equity. Right. And so like, is there a way to say, okay, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, I don't know. Right. Like these days of the week, you know, there's like a set time that, you know, the meetup group is going to have access to these fields, right. Like allow, like have more flexibility. And I think that's something where, for me, like people in leadership need to take it on, like take it upon themselves to think more creatively to address some of these issues. And I think, so I don't know. I think that was one of the, one of the big takeaways for me, Liz, what else do you have to say about this article? I think one of my takeaways is that we need to let people in our groups, whether it's the supporters group or if it's one of your soccer leagues, have the chance to change their role within your group. So give them a bigger voice about something. So you're like, hey, we've been having this problem recently. And specifically ask someone, and you don't have to do it in front of the whole group because that may make them uncomfortable, but you could specifically ask someone who maybe has been there every week but is generally quiet, what do you think? Because they may have some really great opinions and thoughts about it or say, hey, I've seen this happen before. This is how it escalated. But because they're quiet or they're marginalized to any degree, they haven't spoken up. So finding ways to give those people a voice in, you know, what happens? What issues are you having within the group or with the other groups that we interact with? What would you like to see? Just increasing our way to have those those conversations, I think, is really important um, from me for a perspective of like the SEAL Army, from our supporters group. I've always said that I would like to be more involved with the players' families. I would like to see them say, hey, 
we would like to come to your tailgate and for us to make a themed tailgate around whatever, you know, their history is. You know, is it American barbecue? Are they really good at jerk chicken? Are they Caribbean? Are they, you know, from South Africa? Like whatever it is, like to make them feel comfortable and make it revolve around them a little bit. Whereas if you just come into a supporters group, like we try really hard to be very open and welcoming. I try to say hi to everybody, but there are a lot of inside jokes and it can quickly feel very insular and as if you're not part of the cool kids. And really, we just want you to be one of us and help us to grow. So I, I think those conversations are what I took from this this article. Yeah, absolutely. And I think recognizing that, I, for me, it's, it's recognizing that not all programs or interventions or, you know, at least in, in social work and healthcare, right? We talk about evidence-based practices, right? These are the strategies that have research behind them. And that's what we're going to, you know, that's what we're going to use. Okay, great. But just because it works for one group of people doesn't necessarily, it means, that doesn't necessarily mean it works for an entire, like for everyone. And so I think just, just recognizing that. And I think this was a really important reminder for me of that, and also just thinking about like how can we support people who are historically disenfranchised and what can we do and how can how can I leverage right like my intellect and you know the way too many years of graduate education right that I have like how can I leverage that to help people who don't have the same opportunities that I have or who are coming to you know whatever thing um, from a different place. And I think that's really important as well. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where to go for, how do we end this Liz? Or do you do something else to say? Cause I want to hear it. Yeah. I have one more thing to say. I think that, um, because I'm a female, the one thing that I will probably focus on from this paper, like as a personal thing, because it's something that I can control is letting the steel army know that they need a little bit more structure in order to make the females feel more empowered and more welcome in the groups. I can't speak for, you know, some of our more ethnically diverse members, and I hope they continue to grow and, you know, we try to reach out to that community. But this article made it very clear that it doesn't have to be organic. And even though everyone's doing their best job, we may need to put in place more guide rails in order to achieve what we want. So if you're going to get there, you have to start by, you know, providing that empowerment to whatever group. And for me, um, I can start with saying, as a female, this is what makes me more comfortable. And I think it would make other females more comfortable. Let's, let's put in more structure around female participation in certain events. So, I mean, that is like one concrete thing that I would like to take away. And I would like to speak with, you know, other people in our group who are more diverse than me to say what is something that you need that you've seen that works to make sure you're getting your voice heard and putting in place those same guide rails like I I guess I thought that things could just happen organically but it seems like it's going to be so much slower and this article really pointed that out that yeah like it's not awful and there's a lot of benefits but there are a lot of deficiencies and if you aren't going to put in rules you aren't going to address those it's just something I never thought about yeah no I 100% agree with you and yeah I think we are both you know thinking about ways that we can 
do life a bit better and do our own kind of jobs and things better, but also how we can do soccer better. And that's really what this is about and how to take the research that we can find and think about ways to apply it to our own lives. And I think that's really exciting. And I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited about this. All right, Liz, I think I'm ready to sign off. Do you have anything else you would like to add? If you're interested in this, please find a way to get this article. Find the writers of the article, Edward Painter and Marie Price. Reach out to them or buy their buy the journal, like whatever it is. If you're interested, this article is incredible. Like it just hit so many points for me and I highly, highly recommend this article. Laura Ellen, I cannot believe you found something so on point and it just made me so happy. Well, you know, that's I'm I'm here to make you happy, Liz. That's that's the whole point of my role on this podcast is to find things to make Liz happy. Man, life just got so good, guys. Oh gosh. <laughs> what if I what have I gotten myself into? All right, You'll everyone. Know soon. <laughs> oh no. All right, everyone. We will talk to you later. Bye. Bye, Bye friends. Thank you to our host, the Beautiful Game Network. BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you think about today's show and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks, everyone. Remember, you can always soccer better. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your grouper team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.